Well, amen. So good to see you here today. What a wonderful group. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us. And thank you again for those who joined us online. So thankful that uh, we get to worship together. And so thank you so much. Thank you, tech team and worship team for leading us today. And what a great day. I'm hopeful that we baptize every Sunday. Aren't you, Patrick? Just love to see it. Baptizing people uh, come to know Christ and then a time in their life when they want to make that public by being immersed. And so we're so thankful for that. August the 15th, we'll be baptizing at the river. If you've been saved, not been baptized, you say, I'd like to be baptized in the river. August the 15th, we're going to have one service down at Laurel Run at 1030. And so we're all going to gather. 830, 1030 services are going to come together for one service. And we had a wonderful time. We did that back in May. So we're going to do it again in August, August 15th. But we can baptize any Sunday. You just let us know if you've been saved, not been immersed. We can baptize you here any Sunday as well. And so thank you so much. 245 years ago, Declaration of Independence. We declared our independence as a nation 245 years ago. We've been celebrating now for 245 years our liberty, our freedom. And this flag down here was given to the family of Marcel Clips. That is Sandra Jennings and her sister Glenda. That's their dad. And uh, it's given to him, given to their family when he passed away. He was married, he got married to his wife in 1944. And not long after that, almost immediately, he was drafted into the army. Now, this would have been during World War II. He was stationed at Fort McClellan, Alabama. And as he was getting ready to be deployed overseas, the war, ended, the war ended and he was sent home. He sent his wife, I love this story, uh, Sandra shared this story with me. He sent his wife on ahead uh, and he had to borrow $7 uh, to get her a bus ticket to get home. So all you guys and the men and women in the military, you know uh, how hard it is sometimes when you're military. And so what a great uh, story. So we are thankful we get to celebrate and think of our liberty and freedom. And we're reminded of men like Marcel, men and women who were willing to give their lives to protect our liberty, protect our freedom. And so thank you so much. We want to recognize all of our July anniversaries. We had two at the early service. Do we have any here today who you are celebrating your wedding anniversary in July? Would you stand up if you are? Any July anniversaries? Wonderful. We've got several. Awesome. Awesome. Just remain standing. We're going to ask you how many years. I'm going to start in the back. Casey, is that Casey or Jared? Casey, you and Jared look alike. When the new families come to our church, you two at a distance, and I can't see you anyway. Casey, how many years for you and Becky? 22. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's awesome. Steve and Devonna. How many years, Steve and Devonna? Don't you look at her. Don't you look at her. How many years for you guys? 35. 35. Steve and Devonna are our, amen. They're our beach buddies. They are just like us. They love to go to the beach. And so uh, we need to buy us a house down there together. That's what we need to do. Eddie and Joey, how many years for you guys? 32. That's awesome, man. Congratulations to you guys. Man, what wonderful examples. What wonderful examples. Israel, I can already know. I'm going to start with Kelly. I already know yours. You were the first service. Kelly, how many years for you and Bo? 14 years. That's awesome. Let's praise the Lord for that. I see you, Bo. She got it right. 14. That's right. 
Bo and Kelly are going to be one of our videos we're doing about miracles, about their twin girls. And so we're going to be seeing a video from them. Israel, how many years for you and Alicia? 18. He got it right, Alicia, the first service. Amen. Let's thank the Lord. What did you say about the 18 years? Wonderful. Wonderful. Y'all remain standing. and I want to pray for you. And we're going to pray for maybe those in our, in our congregation who desire to be married. So we're going to pray for you as well. Remember Felicia Carter. Uh, remember, she's in the hospital. So remember her and Chris. So let's pray for them for healing. Remember Dawn Day. She works with Red Cross. And they have sent her to Miami to help with the, uh, the collapse of the building there. So let's pray for Dawn. I talked with her this week. And so she says it's a very tragic uh, place there. So remember our, some of our young people we continue to pray for, for Bethany and Isabel and Nick. And remember the search for summer, the little five-year-old. So let's continue to pray for those. Let's pray together. Lord, it's already been a blessing to be here. We've come into your presence and we worshiped you in our songs, in our giving, in our prayers, scripture reading, through baptism. You are worthy to be worshipped. You are almighty God. You are the creator of all things. You are sustainer of all things. You have control over all things. You are God. And we worship you. Jesus, thank you for your death for us on the cross. Thank you for your resurrection that we celebrate today. Thank you for the institution that, Lord, you began called marriage Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, you brought together. Two becoming one. We thank you for these who are standing. We celebrate with them this month as they celebrate their lives together. Lord, all these couples standing are wonderful examples for their children and their grandchildren and their nieces and nephews and children and young people here at the church. Wonderful examples of, of Jesus and your church. Jesus, you gave your life for your church. Jesus, you love your church unconditional. Jesus, you want to be working in our marriages to show forth to this world your love for the church. Lord, I pray a blessing on each of these couples. I pray, Lord, you would strengthen their marriages. I pray you would help them to always be working toward making their marriages more like Jesus, you, and the church. Give them patience and give them forgiveness. Help their love to grow. May their homes and their lives always be filled with love and laughter in the name of Jesus. Lord, we do pray that you would be with Felicia, bring healing in her life. We pray, Lord, that you would be with Dawn. You would be with all those who are serving there in Miami. Protect, strengthen. Lord, we pray for those who are involved in the search for this five-year-old. We pray, Lord, that you would bless those first responders, those who are volunteering. We pray for this family and for this precious little girl. We pray for Bethany and Isabel and for Nick. We ask your hand upon them to bring healing, strengthening, continue to work in their lives. We pray for our military. We thank you, Lord, for the memory of Marcel. We thank you for Rodney and others who have served so faithfully. We pray for those who are serving now. We pray for our missionaries. Thank you for their willingness to go. We pray, Lord, for all of our medical folks and our first responders. We pray you'd bless each of them. Now, Lord, focus our attention on you. We celebrate you today.
And so speak to us in your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Turn to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. We're continuing our series, The Miracle Man, and we're talking today about the miracle of God parting the Red Sea. So we're going to the Old Testament. We'll continue in our series, The Miracle Man, for several more weeks. And several weeks coming up, I've asked some families to do a, a video, an interview, just talking how God has worked in their life. And so we'll hopefully have some of those during the month of August where we can share and uh, looking forward to hearing their stories. Exodus 14. I want to give you a Roger summary of how we got to Exodus 14. When you go back to the book of Genesis, God calls a man named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I want you to follow me and I'll make you a great nation. And so Abraham says, yes, him and his wife, Sarah, they say, yes, we will follow you. And so they leave the land, the, the heathen land, the land of idols, and they go to follow God. And so on their journey, God gives them a son named Isaac. It's a long process for that to happen, but it happens. And so God has promised that he's going to bless the offspring and bless those who come along. And so Abraham, they have a son named Isaac. Isaac marries a, a lady named Rebecca. And him and Rebecca have a couple of boys. And one of their boys' names is Jacob. And so Jacob continues that line that God has promised. And so Jacob marries a lady named Rachel. It's always easy to remember because we got a Jacob and Rachel here at the church. And so he marries a lady named Rachel. But now he also marries a sister named Leah. And also with their maidservants, he ends up having 12 youngins, 12 boys. He has more youngins than that, but he has 12 boys. And so God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And Israel has 12 sons, and those 12 sons is what we know as the 12 tribes of Israel. And so what leads us to Exodus 14 is that one of those boys' names was Joseph. And you know the story how his brothers put him in a pit and then sold him off, and he ended up, Joseph ended up in Egypt. And he went through that whole journey of being in jail, being falsely accused, and finally God had him there for a purpose. His purpose was he would be raised to a high rank of authority among the Egyptians. And what would happen, there would be a famine and there wouldn't be enough food. There wouldn't be enough to eat or drink. And so Jacob, Israel, and his sons come to Egypt because that's the only place where you can find food. So Joseph, a summary of the story, Joseph brings his brothers and his dad there to Egypt, and they settle in Egypt, and now we come to Exodus, and after hundreds of years, the leader of Egypt, the Pharaoh, has forgotten all about the story about Joseph. And the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, looks around and says, hey, who's all this, these people who seem to multiply all the time? And the people around him say, hey, that's the Israelites. And the Pharaoh says, you know what we ought to do? We ought to bring them into slavery before they outnumber us and take over Egypt. And so that's what happens. They bring the children of Israel into captivity, into slavery, and they have to build things. They mortar and brick, and they become the servants of Egypt. And so that leads us to where we are in Exodus 14. They cry out to God. God hears their cry. And God sends a deliverer. His name is Moses. Moses delivers the people of Egypt, people of Israel out of Egypt, 
And they're on their journey and leaving Egypt. And that's what we pick up in Exodus 14. And so the message today is a miracle of liberty. A miracle of liberty. It's the same story that we have in our lives. We were a people in bondage. God sent a deliverer. His name was Jesus. And there was a miracle of liberty. Same thing about our nation. We were a people who was under the, the hard fist, iron fist of Britain and, and the king of England. And we were set free. And so we're going to talk about freedom and liberty. So look in Exodus 14. We're going to start with verse 5. So Israel are making their journey away from Egypt after the plagues. Pharaoh let them go. And now in verse 5, now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So they come to our, their senses and they say, wait a second, why did we do this? They forgot all about the plagues. They forgot all about the power of God. They're just thinking about the money. They're thinking about who's going to serve us now. Who's going to build our buildings? Who's going to take care of things? And so they say, hey, we got to do something. So verse 6. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. What we're going to see in this passage, it says that the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. What we're going to see is that God allows this to happen because God is going to get glory out of this event. God's going to get glory out of this miracle. We talked all our whole series about how God gets glory when he does miracles. It displayed who Jesus was, that he's the Messiah, that he is God in the flesh. And so he's going to get glory out of this. The first thing I want us to talk about for a few moments is this. The enemy continues to pursue. The enemy will continue to pursue. Pharaoh was not going to give up. Pharaoh first let him go, but then he says, no, I changed my mind. And he's pursuing Israel. Think about it. He wasn't going to let go. He was going after them. He wasn't going to give up. When the king of England, King George III, received the letter, Declaration of Independence, that had been signed by 56 delegates, he responded. First of all, he responded by almost ignoring them. But he responded in a way that he was going to send more troops. And he was put everything back in order. And so beginning of the Revolutionary War, because as the colonies were saying, we are declaring our independence from Britain and from the King of England. We're going to part ways. We want to be our own people. And the King of England didn't just say, well, that's fine. That's fine. You can do that. No, there was a fight that began. You're familiar with the, the phrase taxation without representation. He was putting a lot of tax on the people and they were rebelling and they rebelled against Britain. The enemy continues to pursue. When we, I'll just talk about me individually, as a young boy, my eyes were blinded to the truth. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, The God of this age, that's Satan, blinds the minds of unbelievers. And so before I became a follower of Jesus, my mind was blinded by the enemy. But then that passage goes on to say that God was so gracious and he shined the light of the gospel into our hearts. And he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Look out there now. The kingdom of light. And so what happened was, as a young boy, I, I was convicted of my sin. The Holy Spirit shone the light of the gospel into my heart. He may be doing that in your life today. Maybe there in your living room, maybe here in the sanctuary. You know you're lost, you're separated from God, and the light of the gospel shines into your life. And so at that moment, I had an opportunity. I had a choice. I had a, a chance to respond in faith. By grace, we're saved through faith. So the gospel was shining into my heart. I responded in faith. And I trusted in Jesus. I repented of my sins. And I was transferred into the kingdom of light. When that happened, the enemy didn't just say, well, can't do anything about it now. Here's what I want you to know today. Even when we are transferred by the grace of God and through faith from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and become part of the family of God and become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, the enemy still pursues us. The Bible says he is a roaring lion seeking to devour, seeking to destroy. What did Jesus say about Satan? He says he's, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. What I want you to understand, just because we're in the kingdom of light doesn't mean we don't still have an enemy who's pursuing us. Now, he can't remove us from the kingdom of light. We belong here because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not based on what we do. It's not based on how we function. It's based on what Jesus did. He can't take us from the kingdom of light, but he's going to do his best to, to try to discourage us, tempt us to sin, cause us division, Use us to cause division. He'll work in our life to try to steal, kill, and destroy. Kill our testimony. Destroy any efforts that God's going to be using us. And so he is pursuing us. He is pursuing us. Don't forget that we still have an enemy that every day when we wake up in the morning, we need to, to gird up our loins and be ready for the fight. Because our enemy is out to pursue us. Satan is continuing to pursue us and discourage us. Look in Ephesians chapter 6. I didn't give this particular passage to Josh, but if you have your Bibles or your phone there, your tablet or your iPad, you can look it up, Ephesians 6. Paul talks about this, the enemy pursuing us. And the reason I wanted to bring this up in, in conjunction with this passage is because it's so clear Pharaoh doesn't just give up and say, ah, oh, they're gone. He continues after them. You see, unbelievers, Satan has their minds blinded. He's out here trying to discourage and try to defeat those who are following Jesus. And we need to be aware we're still in a battle. Daily, battling against the flesh, battling against temptation. And we need to go into the war prepared. And so that's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. He says, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
we're going to see in just a minute what God says through Moses. He says to the people, stand still. We need to recognize if we're going to defeat our enemy, Satan, it's in the strength of the Lord. It's in his power. You can't defeat the enemy on your strength. You can't defeat the enemy on your might. It's on his might. It's on him. Stand still. He's going to say in Exodus 14, I will fight for you. When I get up in the morning, I've got somebody fighting for me. Hannah and Matthew sung about that last week. Someone fighting for me. I'm in his strength. So he goes on to say, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There's our enemy pursuing us. He's pursuing us, trying to defeat us and defeat the gospel, trying to defeat our testimony. And so he, we need to stand. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of age, against spiritual hosts of weakness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because we're in this battle, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Church, do you think today is an evil day? Amen. Wake up. We're in the midst of a battle. Having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. How many times does he say stand in this passage? Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. He's pursuing us. He's trying to discourage us. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The word of God prayer. These are our weapons daily. We need to put on faith, peace, the gospel daily. We need to be praying daily. We need to be in God's word. We need to recognize this is not a playground that we're on. This is a battleground. Too many churches, too many Christians. We've been lulled to sleep. We've been lulled to a battleground. We don't recognize the enemy is pursuing us Try to discourage us. The enemy is pursuing our kids. The enemy is pursuing our grandkids. The enemy are pursuing our marriages. The enemy is pursuing senior adults. The enemy is pursuing everybody he can go after. And we need to raise up and hear God's word. God says, I'll fight for you. How many dads out here are going to stand up and say, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you. Here's one cha-cha that's going to stand up and say, I'm going to fight for my little granddaughter, Andy, because she's, man, you got little ones. They are in the midst of a crazy world. And man, how we need to be praying for our children and our grandchildren, our nieces and our nephews, fighting for them. Because the enemy, just like in Exodus 14, is pursuing, is pursuing us. And so we need to be a people who recognize daily we're in a battle, church. We're in a battle. And we need to stay focused and stay in the word of God and the importance of prayer. Oh, we need to recognize the enemy's pursuing us. We'll go back to Exodus 14. Let's pick back up in verse 10 through verse 12. I told the early service, if anybody questions, to say, well, why didn't he read verse 9? Well, I've been your pastor now for going on 16 years. If there's sometimes it's not particular that we need that verse and there's words I can't pronounce, I'm just going to jump over it. All right. 
So I'm just being honest with you. That's why I didn't read verse 9. I could pronounce those names, but I'd hatchet them to death, I'm just telling you. My tongue just don't work right. My dad used to say, I can't say suey if the hogs are after me. I kind of feel the same way. Verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. It's interesting here. We'll stop there for just a second before we read on. So here they are. They've left Egypt. They saw God do these plagues. God has delivered them from Egypt. And they're marching out, headed to the promised land. And they come to the Red Sea. They're surrounded by mountains. And the dust of the Egyptians are coming toward them. They, they see all the chariots. They see the Egyptians coming. And they were afraid. What's your situation? Do you feel trapped right now? Do you, do you feel like life has you trapped? Do you, do you feel like you're, you're enclosed on every side? Do you feel like you're in an impossible place? That's what the, the Israelites felt like. This is impossible. We can't get over the sea. We're surrounded by mountains. The army who outnumbers us has all these weapons. It's impossible. They were afraid. There was panic. Can you imagine the panic? How quickly they forgot who God was. How quickly they had forgot. God had, had whipped the old Egyptians already. God had been leading them by a cloud and by fire, a pillar of fire. This is the same God, but somehow right in the middle of their impossibility of their situation, they forgot who God was. If you're in the situation right now that you feel trapped, don't forget God. He's at work in your life. If he brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. He'll work in your life. He'll open doors. He'll part the Red Sea. He'll do the impossible. That's the God we've been teaching and preaching about. And so they were afraid. Don't let fear and anxiety. That's the weapons of the enemy. Anxiety, fear. Where faith is, fear cannot exist when we trust God. What are you facing right now? What do you feel trapped in? What seems impossible? Let your heart be filled with faith and not fear. So they were very afraid. They did one thing right. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. That's the one thing they did right. They cried out to the Lord. When you're in the impossible position, when the Red Sea's before you and the enemies behind you and the mountains surround you, do the one thing you know to do. Cry out to the Lord. Lord, what did we just sing? Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you, Lord. I, I'm facing what seems impossible. I need you. And that's what they did right. But then in verse 11, they did what we're going to learn as you study the book of Exodus, what they would always do. They begin to complain. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may just serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. The enemy continued the pursuit. Second of all, the situation seemed hopeless. Moses, why in the world do you bring us out of Egypt? 
We could have just stayed there and still been in bondage, but we'd been alive. Why did you do that? They took their eyes off the Lord and they focused on the situation. We need to be reminded today, don't let the situation and the impossibility of the situation cause us to forget who God is. God is at work in our lives and in this situation. And here for the Israelites, it seemed hopeless. It seemed like there's, there's no way out. We just want to go back to where we were. We just want to go back. And so they were tempted to go back. Think about 245 years ago when the 56 guys signed the Declaration of Independence. Do you realize what kind of pressure they were under? If you read history, several of them lost their lives. Several of them lost all that they possessed. They lost their homes. Do you realize what they were facing? I'm sure in their minds it seemed very hopeless that they could ever escape the hold that Britain had on them. There were many who were called loyalists who wanted to stay loyal to Britain. They didn't want it to change. They just wanted to keep what they had. Same thing here with the Israelites. Think about our situation. When we were lost in our sins, our situation was that we were in a hopeless situation. We were separated from our creator because of our sin. We were headed for hell and deserving of hell. And we were hopeless and couldn't do anything about it. But then our loving God stepped in and he did a miracle of liberty he sent his son jesus and jesus came to die for our sins you see we were lost and we were hopeless and the bible says the wages of sin is death we were going to have to die for our sins but god in his grace and mercy sent jesus willingly he was willing to die for our sins and he went to that cross took our sins upon him was buried and rose again and now god extends the invitation all those who will come Come, all those who will trust in Jesus, trust in him, repent of your sins, turn and trust in Christ. And so the invitation is today. The situation is hopeless if you're here and you're lost, but Jesus came to turn a hopeless situation, the impossible into the possible because it was impossible. If you ever went through faith training, it was impossible for any of us to get to heaven because you got to be perfect to get to heaven. Did you know that? you got to be sinless to get to heaven. The only way we get to heaven is through the blood of Christ, the sinless righteousness of Jesus applied to our account. Then God can accept us into the presence of God. Without Jesus, it's impossible for us to get to heaven. Can you say amen? amen. Impossible. Situation seemed hopeless. Hopeless. They wanted to go back to what was comfortable. They wanted to go back to going back into bondage. Be careful that Satan doesn't tempt you to go back into bondage. Be careful that you don't go back to Egypt. When the going gets tough, when you're backed into a corner, where are you going to go? You going back to Egypt? Or are you going to go forward? Look at the next passage. I love this next part. Verse 13. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. That's the first thing when we're up against it. And you're in that situation today. God's word says to you, don't be afraid. D don't be afraid. It might seem impossible, but God does the impossible. God can do it. Don't be afraid. Stand still. 
I love the boldness of Moses. He's just speaking God's word. Man, he's so bold. Stand still. Quit being anxious. Quit panicking. Quit worrying. Don't get discouraged. Stand still. In, in, that, in that two words, what Moses is saying and what God is saying to us is, trust me. Quit trying to figure everything out yourself. Quit trying to work it out. Stand still. And just trust me. I'm at work. Trust me. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. And then verse 14, what a great passage. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Whatever your situation, God's saying to you today, I'm going to work in your life. I will fight for you. The enemy's pursuing you. Situation seems hopeless, but I'm on your side and I'm at work in your life. And then verse 15, and the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the children of Israel, get off their rear end. No, that's not what it says. That's the Rogers interpretation. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. And they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. That's what it's always about, is that God gets glory. Isaiah says that's why we're created, for his glory. Everything's always about his glory. And so here, he's allowed Pharaoh to come after him. He's allowed them to get backed up against the Red Sea. And he says, man, I've got it where it's an impossible place. Why? Because the only place you can do is you can trust me. There's sometimes God lets us get in some situations because he wants us to be backed up against the wall that all we can do is trust him. When somebody's in that condition and all they can do is trust him, that's when God can use them. Every Sunday when I come out here, that's me on my knees in my office. I know I'm backed up against the Red Sea. I know I can't do this, what I'm doing, and God's called me to do. And so every Sunday, every day, God, I can't do this without you. And men, when we have that attitude, God can use you. God can use me to bring him glory, and that's what God's doing. There is a miracle of liberty that's taking place here. He says, man, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to take care of things. Just move forward. So here's the thing. Are you, when your back's against the wall, are you going back to Egypt or are you going forward? One of the signers of the Declaration of Independence was pretty much forced. His name was Richard Stockton. He was from New Jersey and he was almost forced to recant his support of the revolution after he had signed the declaration. He was captured by the British in 1776, November the 30th, threw in jail. Terrible treatment. He, this punishment and all they did for him. And finally, he swore his allegiance back to King George III. And after he was paroled, he then once again signed a new oath of loyalty to the state of New Jersey. In 1777. Here's the question I want to ask as we close. As the enemy pursues us, 
Sometimes our situation may seem hopeless. As we live in a darkened, evil society and world, what's Ridgeview going to do? What's your family going to do? What's my family going to do? Are we going back to Egypt? Are we going to compromise with the world? Are we going to give in? Or are we going to hear the words of, of, of the Bible and it says, Go forward! Don't go back! Don't, don't, don't hesitate! Don't retreat! We need a people of God in our world today who are going to go forward, who are not going to compromise, who are going to stand, Ephesians says. Stand on the word of God. Stand what is true. No matter what the consequences are, no matter what, we're not going to go back. We're going to go forward. And we are a group of people who are declaring amongst ourselves and together, we're going to go forward together. And we're going to speak the truth in love, but we're not going to compromise with the world. We're going to go forward. We're going to do it in love. But the time is coming. I'm telling you, opposition is coming. Challenges are coming. And we have to gird up our loins and get ready for the fight. And we're going to go forward. We're going to go forward. And that's where we're headed. Will you go forward with us? Will you? The enemy is pursuing us. Red Sea's before us and the mountains are behind us. God says, hey, I'm fighting for you. Let's go forward. And the miracle happened. The water was parted. Israel walked through on dry land. The Egyptians pursued them. All of a sudden it got muddy and their chariots got stuck. And boom, they were all destroyed. God is fighting for us. Let us be a people who move forward. The enemy's pursuing. The situation seems hopeless, but Jesus provides a way. A miracle of liberty. He'll do that in your life. If you're here and you're lost, or you're there in your living room and you're lost, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you, would you today trust in Jesus? Repent of your sins. Confess Jesus as Lord. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to be your Lord. Would you? For us as believers, are we ready to go forward? Are we ready to gird up your loins and go forward no matter what's ahead, moving forward? Maybe your situation seems hopeless. Let God do a work in your life. Would you stand with me for prayer? Lord, we love you. And we are encouraged by these words. You fight for us. We are encouraged by the story of Israel as their backs against the wall. But yet you do the impossible. Lord, there are situations in people's lives today that may seem impossible. Give them encouragement today that you are fighting for them and that you are going to do a work in their lives for your glory. Lord, help us as a church to renew. Renew, Lord, that we will be a people of the word of God under the authority of the word of God. No matter what the world says, we will be a people who go forward. We will not retreat. We will not hesitate we will not delay but we will go forward making disciples making a difference thank you for what you're doing we give you glory because we can do nothing without you we are standing still and watching you work and we pray this in the name of jesus just keep your heads bowed if you will